How might teachers use mindfulness as a tool for developing resilience? Today on the show, I am joined by sisters Christiane and Nat Slomka speaking about the school resources developed by Calm. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Let's be real. This has been the most difficult year in our profession. In Ontario, we've just been told that the rest point of March break has been delayed by a month. We're just heading back into school or freshly returned for some of us. And we are not good. As a profession, we are raw, we are vulnerable, and we are tired. This is why I reached out to Christiane and Nat Slomka. Christiane helped to develop the school resources with the Calm app And Natalie, a teacher with the Toronto District School Board, is actively using these mindfulness strategies with her students. In this conversation, we talk about the need for practicing mindfulness in an oppressive system, how to make your mindfulness practice trauma-informed, how you can turn almost anything into a meditation, and resilience. We talk about developing capital R resilience in our students and in ourselves and how this might just be what we really need to be focusing more on right now. I also just want to add that this show is not sponsored by Calm. I really like their app. I'm personally using it right now, but they did not actually fund this conversation. I so adored getting to share in the sister love between these two, and I know you will as well. Please welcome Christiane and Nat Slomka to the show. Thank you so much, Sister Slomka, for coming on. I don't know if you get that often. I'm just making up that term. It is such a nice delight to get to have both of you on the show. Um, Why don't we start by each of you introducing yourself? So the way I typically do it is people share who they are, where they're from, and what they do. So Nat, why don't we start with you? Okay, yeah. Um, My name is Natalie. Uh, Christiane and I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, and then we were secondary raised in Burlington. And then both of us, um, well, I ended up going to school in Toronto. And so I've been in Toronto for 20 years now. Um, I'm a high school teacher um, and I've been teaching in the TDSB for 13 years and specifically um, most often in the subject area of health and physical education. Amazing. Christiane, go for it. Yeah, so my path has been very, very windy. I um, started my studies in computer science, and then I later did a lot of traveling, and then I ended up going to school to become a a school teacher as well. And then I taught for a couple of years, and then I went back to school to become a yoga teacher, and then I opened a yoga studio in Toronto. Um, And then after that, I started working for a meditation app called Calm, and that's where I am right now, working as their community manager and supporting people from all over the world who are learning how to meditate with that. I just need to say that you are both incredible humans, and I'm so excited that you're sisters, because I actually know you from different areas. Like I know Nat from running, and we've gone on a couple runs together with Parkdale Roadrunners. You're much faster than me, but you're a very generous runner and will run beside slower people, which I love. Um, And Christiane, I know you from the yoga world. I got to, I feel like I was trying to figure out the math on this. I feel like I met you in 2007. Like I feel like it has been that long and I used to practice at your studio and we were in the same meditation circles so it is really I mean and obviously like the education context it's really nice to like have so many of our circles overlap and I just 
think the world of you. So this is really exciting to get to talk to both of you. I wanted to bring you on because of this new resource that Calm has released that Christiane, you worked on and Nat, you're using. So let's jump in. I'm just curious, like background, Christiane, did this, like, was this always in the works that Calm was working on this or did the pandemic inspire this resource? Tell us about the process of developing it. So back in the day before I was even part of Calm, uh, they were working to support teachers in a lot of way and they made a whole bunch of content that was very specific for different age, age groups and school age groups. And, and then they kind of wanted to re refresh that program. Specifically, we were working with LeBron James and he was doing like amazing work with his I Promise School. And so there was a reinvigoration of like just dedicating more of our resources to students and to teachers. And then of course the pandemic hit, it's been such a, a wild year. And you know, all of our hearts have been really thinking about the teachers and just everything that you've been going through. And we really wanted to figure out like, how can, how can we support the teachers better? And I think there's, everyone's always like, oh, you should meditate. You should like learn mindfulness and that sounds great, but how do you do that? And I just think a lot of people need more support to be able to integrate that into both your own life, but also into the classroom. So yeah, and since my background is in both mindfulness and education, I thought it would be an awesome opportunity to bring those two worlds together and, and better support both teachers and students. Yeah, it's a really thorough resource. It's a, I mean, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, it is a pretty uh, deep PDF file that's available for all teachers. Um, it's both a resource. So there's two different docs. There's one that's just practices that teachers can do in their classroom with their students, but then another whole PDF, which is just, hey, teachers, these are some things you can do for yourself. And these are things that you can actually put into practice that are really tangible in your life to you know, it's not just sitting on your cushion. There's a lot of other ways that we can bring meditation and mindfulness into our day-to-day -day life. So Nat, I understand that you've actually been using some of these with your students. Can you tell us about like, what does that actually look like in your practice? Yeah. So I will say Calm has always been great in that it has been a free resource for teachers. And so I've been bringing mindfulness activities into my classroom, probably for the last four years using the app. But now that this resource exists from, from Calm that literally gives you a very structured approach to integrating mindfulness into your classroom, it's almost so easy. You could follow it day by day, or if you don't plan on doing the 30 days in a row, you can easily look through the 30 days and pick different activities that you think that will work specifically for your group. So prior to the resource, I was definitely doing um, originally when I first started, sometimes just playing some of the, the pre-recorded meditations, which were amazing. Um, and then as I got more confident, I would sort of develop my own scripts through listening to those met pre-recorded meditations. And now I feel like I've really gained confidence and I can lead the meditations on my own. But it all really depends on the, the group that I'm working with. And it looks different in almost every single one of my classrooms based on the students and based on our structure in the classroom. But I can't have, elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, do you have a favorite activity to do with students that you're just like, oh, I can't wait to do this one? Um, I, find, I find introducing the students to meditation in the beginning. I usually go through like a little PowerPoint that just sort of talks about meditation, the benefits of it, what's mindfulness, all that sort of stuff. And then I'll do a short meditation with them. 
but I find students and people who are new to mindfulness and meditation really sort of get a good, a good dose of it through a body scan. So that I'll do, I'll usually do very early on within my first couple sessions of mindfulness with a group and then continue to bring it back as we move through. But I think that just general breathing exercises, the students will see right away the benefit and the calm. Short meditations, they could be three to five minutes. And then the body scan is usually a good one. Something that I really appreciated when I was reading through the teacher's guide, and I kind of imagined, Christiane, you were like designing this because you are also training to be a psychotherapist. There's a whole little section about trauma-informed practice and about how some students may not be ready to sit quietly, or some students may have some real barriers and blocks to approaching this. And actually, either one of you can jump in on this. What are some of the like considerations teachers should have before day one when they launch this? Like, are there certain things you should have established with your classroom community first, or are there indicators of when you know your class is ready for this? I don't know, either one of you want to jump in first on that one, go for it. I was just going to say, um, I think, I think, yeah, it's definitely good to sort of, you know, survey your group and sort of see what's up. But I think that it can start really simply without overthinking it Mm -hmm. and just try it out. And then you'll sort of learn how your students specifically are going to respond. Sometimes you'll have a group that's really into it and doesn't make a peep. And then other times you'll have a group with students that want to make a peep. Um, and <laughs> Need so, to make all yeah, the peeps. <laughs> exactly. So I think just moving through that again, like case by case, and and then from that experience, you're like, okay, maybe that didn't work perfectly. So maybe we'll try something else. There's a lot of other exercises in terms of mindfulness to do before meditations and breathing exercises that maybe the kids aren't ready for, or if they're not ready for the breathing exercises and the meditations. So even you know, I think Christy can speak to it a little bit, but you know, like mindfulness eating, if you have a very rambunctious group, you can bring in something that they can work with, with mindful eating or mindfulness walks and all that kind of stuff, I think are great options to try out if you don't think your groups may be ready to do the sit quiet. Hmm. Christiane can probably add to that. Yeah, thanks so much, Nat. I, um, when I was making the resource, I thought a lot about structuring the 30 days to be supportive, to creating like a safer space in the classroom. So I think overall, the most important thing is to look at mindfulness as kind of an experiment. So there is no should of what should happen. Like really, it's just, we try this thing. Maybe it's sitting quietly. Maybe it's listening to music. We try to pay attention to it. And then whatever happens, the practice is really just to notice what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the trauma in the meditation mindfulness space happens because people think it should look a certain way. And sometimes teachers are not necessarily like school teachers, but meditation or mindfulness teachers are like forcing a space to be a particular way that's not actually helpful or supportive for people. And especially if they've already experienced a particular trauma in their life. So I would just say, if you're letting go of the shoulds and just staying really open to what's coming up in the classroom and responding to that with curiosity and kindness, which is also mindfulness, that's how we pay attention, then you're probably going to be just fine. And then there's like all these resources that are available. And so in the guide, I specifically like link to 
one guy who I really admire his work around like trauma informed mindfulness. And so, you know, that's a great starting place. And he has just a list of, I think, nine things that are really helpful to start with. So, yeah. And then, you know, the day one of, of the 30 days of mindfulness and the calm resource is all about orientating. And so being able to like, look around the classroom, see what feels okay or nice to you in that classroom. So kids can start to really get in touch with their nervous system and be able to soothe if something doesn't feel so good. So again, the more we can empower students to know that they're able to say yes or no to an instruction and really look at those as invitations, mm -hmm. I think gives like the freedom for a safer space. And the, the final thing I'll, I will say too is around the breath. You know, often we say, take a deep breath. That cannot be so helpful for some students, especially if you've experienced trauma, because often we take a deep breath. It's mostly the inhale, which is very activating for the nervous system. And it's the exhale that helps balance and calm and soothe the nervous system. But if we don't actually know how to do that or are aware of that, we can just take the inhale and be kind of stuck in more of a sympathetic state in our nervous system. So just to be aware of that as teachers is that the breath is so powerful and it can both soothe and calm us, but it can also activate us. So just making sure that there's balance there can be so helpful. Yeah, there's so much to think about. And I, I love the way that you're framing it as it's an experiment, like just do small things and just like build on it slowly. Like it sounds like that's how you explore what is safe and what is tricky for your students and to have that kind of open conversation. You know, as we're talking, it was just announced that March break is getting postponed by a month in Ontario schools. And, you know, like there's a lot coming out right now about self-care and teacher self-care and teachers like, you know, taking their mental health seriously. And there's a lot out there. And there's all these like external factors that are truly oppressive right now to teachers. And even just what's going on in Ontario is just a small percentage of what teachers are trying to navigate and deal with. You know, the mindfulness and meditation is amazing, but like at the end of the day, I think there's a valid question out there of like, does it actually address some of these bigger issues? So Christiane, I'm wondering like, what would you say to a teacher that says like, yeah, meditation isn't really going to help me deal with the fact that I am overworked and that's not going to change anytime this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you're right. Like, I think I would really validate that perspective because it's true on a systemic level that meditation and mindfulness isn't going to change that. And at the same time, what I would really emphasize is that it's still so important for us to figure out how to take care of ourselves and meet ourselves with like the most compassion and kindness possible. And so that's where I see like the power of mindfulness and meditation and then the second piece is that in terms of standing up for myself in the work world and figuring out what my boundaries are around work and home, I think that meditation and mindfulness has like really empowered me to be able to, um, one, be aware of like a lot of these things that are not okay, but I maybe couldn't even see clearly when I was younger. Um, and then to actually start to create the boundaries so that, you know, I'm not giving 150% of myself to my job and just figuring out how to 
take care of myself at the same time and then also stand up to the to the people who are creating a culture that makes it really hard to do that. Mm, that's really well said. Thank you. I think that's a good reminder for all of us that there are you know small acts of I won't even say subversion or rebellion that we can take. And actually in a way, mindfulness is a bit rebellious. It is going against the stream literally. And, you know, I, I think self-care isn't even the right word for it anymore. There has to be like a bigger word for it now because it's not just that it's like, actually it's taking care of other people too, by slowing down and paying attention to what's going on inside of you. Thank you. Um, from my time at Kula, and one of my sort of major co-conspirators at Kula was Jamila Malika. Jamila, yeah. Yeah. And we talked so much about how, you know, in terms of like looking at anti-oppression work, that the tools that we learn in our mindfulness practice or our yoga practice are like the exact tools we need to have an anti-oppression practice as well. And they really support us to do that work. So I just think that's like an also a cool piece to think about is that it, it, it's serving if activism is one of your paths that this work can really serve your activism and and allow you to go deeper into it and not necessarily like burn out from it. We're talking about mental health so much. It's everywhere, you know, especially for us as teachers, you know, we're often getting emails from our board of directors and so on and so forth about how important this is. Um, and, and like you said, not everybody is, is really feeling that that's a sincere thing, but um, I wanted to talk about the importance of resilience. And yeah. I feel like we don't use that word enough. Um, and so a lot of the times when people are feeling like they don't have time to do things um, or that it shouldn't be their priority because there's so many other priorities, the idea is that if we're doing these mindfulness activities, these wellness um, you know, different tactics for our own self-care and wellness, we will build our resilience and be able to cope so much better with the everyday, especially when things feel like they're out of our control, building that resilience to actually feel like we can handle the stressors that are thrown at us mm. is so important and can so much be developed through the mindfulness and the meditation stuff. So I just wanted to say that because I feel like the word resilience gets missed often when we're talking about mental health. And it's, it's pretty much like the piece of the puzzle that we most need to understand its value for how we cope. How have you become more resilient this year? I think a couple of ways. So one is definitely being more present in the moment. <sighs> you know, we can really think about, you know, what's, especially with COVID, but even if we're not talking about COVID, you know, what's happening tomorrow, the next day, the next day, especially as a teacher right now, it just, it feels like there is so much on my plate, more than my plate has ever been full of before. Um, and so really just being like, okay, well, let's just tackle tomorrow or just tackle your morning and then you can tackle your afternoon and just allowing myself to sort of calm down in that way. Sometimes I feel like I don't have time to meditate. And so the way that I'm incorporating mindfulness activities and meditation into my classes helps me calm down. Mm -hmm. I find when I'm writing scripts, I find that that calms me down. I find when I'm leading the activities or reading the scripts that are given to me through the calm 30 days, just doing those activities with my students calms me down and allows me to connect to them and to myself. So I find that so valuable. And 
I am a health and physical educator, but I just got off of a quad teaching biology and we did mindfulness and self-care daily in biology. And I think it needs to be done by every teacher, regardless of, of, of your subject area, because A, it's good for you, but also this, just like us, we don't do it for ourselves and our students aren't going to do it for themselves. So we have to do it for them, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so important and that it's actually the practice of doing it with your students can be your practice. It doesn't have to be this extra thing and it doesn't have to be a huge, long, exhaustive thing on your to-do list. Like I was just actually doing one of the meditations with Calm. Um, I can't remember which one it was called, but it was really just, hey, if you're feeling like this is overwhelming, then sit for less time. Like don't make it into this big whole thing. I love the idea that just writing the script for your students is your practice or sitting with your students and breathing with them or eating a mindful reason that can be your practice. Christian, when you were a teacher, so when you were teaching like this, I don't even know what timeline this would be in because it's before I knew you as a yoga teacher, uh, were you doing mindfulness with your students in that period of your life? No, I wasn't. I, I sort of happened upon going deeper into my meditation and mindfulness practice sort of to save myself as, mm-hmm. as a teacher, because I was, you know, totally on a burnout track. I felt so anxious and so stressed out all the time as a teacher mm-hmm. that I, I literally felt like my body was shaking inside and I couldn't sleep because I was so concerned about you know, what kind of lesson plans I needed to make and really took on any sort of suffering in the classroom as like my own to fix. And so it, I, I was a bit of a disaster teacher, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I think many of us are disaster teachers. Because <laughs> I feel like that's so relatable, like just this idea of like teacher burnout is huge right now. I think that retention in the profession is going to be a major concern of many schools and many boards. What would present-day Christiane say to teacher Christiane that's in that state? I love that Nat brought up resilience and I think really working on what builds my resilience and like giving myself permission to take time and space to do that. Sometimes for me like the picture I have when I think about resilience is I look at like all the stress and anxiety in my life, like this snowball that's like run, like rolling down the mountain and it just keeps building with snow and it gets heavier and messier and um, kind of more dangerous and more out of control <laughs> as it goes. And that actually, if you just like stop the snowball from rolling, it like can melt, it doesn't build as much, you know, and we actually have so many opportunities every day in our lives every like moment in our lives to do that is so I think about like, how do you stop the snowball? And sometimes that looks bigger, like, you know, doing like a half an hour of yoga or something like that. And sometimes it's maybe just like lying down, closing my eyes and taking three deep breaths or even making sure I make space to like eat my lunch in a way that feels like I'm allowed to like also breathe while I eat my lunch and I'm not having to think about everything I have to do after lunch or something like that. Mm. So yeah, I think just really looking to build my resilience, have better boundaries around work. I really let it be all consuming. And I think learning this motto of like done is better than perfect um, 
letting things like be good enough and know that they will get better with time and naturally I can evolve them, but it's not okay to stay up till like four in the morning trying to make the perfect thing. The perfect thing actually doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. Christiane is often an ear to me as my sister um, about what's going on in my life and, and as the struggles of a teacher and she's experienced it. And she always says to me, or reminds me, and she might correct me because I might not say it perfectly and that's totally fine. Um, But she always just reminds me like to do my best, but then also reminds me that my best looks different every day. So if I'm completely overwhelmed and don't have a lot of time, I'm going to do the best that I can with what I have and that is good enough. And I find that that's always really helpful for me as I move through because we, as teachers, for those of us, there's a lot of us who decide to go into teaching and we have these like, perfectionist tendencies which is impossible in teaching you'll never have enough time it'll never be perfect and so just reminding yourself that what you're doing is is powerful it's valuable and it's enough and that that's your best and to be to be okay with that you know and I think ultimately our students want us to just connect with them they want us to see them and like them and I I honestly do not care when I was a student about my teacher's amazing lesson plans, I don't remember any of them. I remember the teachers who saw me, who I felt safe with that were funny and silly and showed their authentic self. That's what our students want from us ultimately. Yeah. I find that, you know, my first, I've been teaching for 13 years and I feel, you know, probably the first half of my career, I was very like focused on making sure I was, teaching the curriculum, which we should do by all means, for sure. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) But um, I feel like I was so overwhelmed by my job that I was, I wasn't there. I wasn't present and I wasn't connecting with my students. And I just had to reassess and be like, why are you doing this? The whole reason you got into this was for them and you are not connecting the way that you want to connect with them. And to be honest, integrating mindfulness activities into my classrooms was a powerful shift to develop my relationship with my students. And then, you know, now that we're in the current state that we're in with COVID and the way that we've had to transition our learning and adapt, it's, it's like the be all and end all is like, that's my priority every day is to connect with the kids and for them to, for them to feel supported and know how to, like we said, build their resilience. It's just so key. Do you think the pandemic has in a way freed you up to remind you about like what's really essential? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think it's really allowed me to embrace that side of, of forming the connection and meaningful relationships with the students to build, to build them as people so Mm. that they feel supported and they feel confident. And then also, you know, we're teaching them these ways to, to cope with some of the, the hard stuff that's going on in their lives. And I think they really appreciate it, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's changed. And I hope, I think for sure, this will sort of be the direction I move more in. Mm-hmm. In the resource, there is a really lovely little snippet that I want to read out. It said, you're planting seeds and it's okay if you don't see the growth right away. You may never know when they look back and feel gratitude for the tools that you shared. Have you had students come back to you and reflect on what this practice has meant to them, Nat? 
So I use reflections a lot in my classes, especially in my, my health and physical education classes. They reflect, not weekly, because I can't keep up with that marking, but they definitely reflect every couple of weeks. And then we do mid-semester and semesters. And it doesn't actually really matter the course, as long as we've been doing it regularly, they are so grateful for it. And they're so grateful for the self-awareness that they've developed. And then through the self-awareness, the confidence that they've developed in themselves. It's really special. Hmm. And as a teacher to watch that, you're like, oh, actually this is the most important thing I can teach you. Like there isn't really any other more valuable skill really that we need right now. No, you're right. I want to just jump back into Christiane and, you know, I've known you through a few different chapters of your life. What is it like to work at Calm? Like, I'm very curious. It's a huge meditation app right now. It's like the number one meditation app. And I feel like it's, everyone is talking about it. There's so much energy around this. Like, what do you actually do on a day-to-day basis (laughs) and what is it like for you? So working at Calm is is really wild. When I started at Comp, it was four years ago this month. Uh, no one had ever heard of Comp. No, so. I remember you saying something like, I am working for a meditation app. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Can't wait to hear more about that. And now yeah. it's like the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been really s- special to see it grow like that. And I think one thing that just feels what, what I feel excited by and motivated by and energized by is that a big part of our conversation is how do we make what we might call like meditation, but could also call mental fitness or could call self-care. How do we make that accessible to more and more people? And I think, you know, not everyone is going to look in the mirror and be like, I want to meditate. And so even though meditation is such a powerful tool for like building our awareness and creating clarity in our lives and compassion, like it's just not going to be for everyone. And then even, you know, myself included, but a lot of my friends who maybe had a meditation practice at some point in their life, their lives change radically. Like maybe you have kids, maybe you're going through something. Are you speaking directly to me right now? I feel so seen right now. (laughs) And just what you were able to do to take care of yourself five years ago isn't the same. And so what I love about Calm is like, you know, we decided to create like a whole music library and create music that you could focus with or that you could relax to. I love it. Like I actually have it as a tab right now and the like pop songs, I have like a standing desk and I was like dancing mindfully while doing my work (laughs) the other day. I did not even know that was a thing. So it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we also started sleep stories, which are basically bedtime tales for adults and, you know, are one of our favorite ones is Matthew McConaughey reading you a bedtime story Mm -hmm. Um, but we have over 200 different bedtime stories and again it's not traditional meditation or mindfulness but if at the end of your day your mind is spinning and you lie down and you choose to focus on this person's voice and this story you know that is a form of of paying attention that allows the mind to settle and the body to relax and so we just continue to kind of like grow and diversify our offerings so that more people can can utilize it but also folks as you go through the ebb and flow and the waves of your life that different parts of the app are going to like be useful for you at different times 
Yeah, it's really, there's actually like a whole section on movement and like you're actually featured in it. It was so nice <laughs> to see you. I'm like, oh, this brings me back to Kula, like you teaching on the mat. Are you writing programs? Like, are you writing um, like meditation scripts or like what is your day-to-day like? Yeah, so my job is actually in social media. And so I kind of think about my job as like, how do I support our community and our members that are using the app? And I think back to my own journey. And when I started learning meditation or yoga, I had sort of the blessing and the privilege of being in a space with other people and with a teacher and being able to like ask questions and you know, grow in that way. And I think there's something so powerful about the app because you can do it anywhere, like you can do it in your car if you need to. And, but the like sort of element that I was worried about that was missing was like, how do we create connection between the people who are doing these things? And then how do we support them when they feel a little bit stuck or unsure or have questions? So I've been doing a lot of creating resources that we offer people either through email or through social media as like this kind of second layer of support um, that's not in the app, but is either focusing on educating, inspiring, building community or creating support for people. So anytime I'm seeing anything on social media, am I assuming that it's your words behind that to be like, hey, sup girl, can I like do a little reply to anything that comes out of the Calm (laughs) app on socials? Well, luckily I'm no longer a team of one. So it's not, it's not only me. I have a great team. I'll still do a sub girl. I'll assume you'll see it somewhere. (laughs) We'll send you a little blue heart for sure. I dig it. I dig it. Um, And really quickly before I take it out the door, now I want to touch base about running because that for me is a huge mindfulness practice. Do you see that as like, not obviously like the same as sitting on a cushion and doing this kind of work, but Like, what does running mean for you as a teacher and as a mindfulness practitioner? Like, how does that factor in to your journey? Yeah, that's a great question that no one's ever asked me, but I love it. I have a whole teachers who run series. Like I just talked to teachers about running and like how that actually like supports them as teachers. I, yeah, yeah, we'll do a, we should do a reboot of that. I mean, I definitely find for me in terms of like mindfulness activity, first of all, it cuts me off. Like for the first quad back during COVID, I would run after school every day. And that would be a way to stop working number Mm -hmm. one and disconnect from work. And it was also a great way to get outside. Um, And it was during fall. And I've had conversations with people about how beautiful our sunsets have been this last year. We've had like the most amazing sunsets or we were just never paying attention. Mm. Um, And so, I mean, it's been really great to a check in I, in terms of awareness of what's around me. I often run, I work up North. So I run in a park in North York, or I often run down to the lake and run mm. along the lake from home. And it's just such an amazing way to connect to the outdoors, but then also to connect with my body, yeah. you know, and figure out what's going on with my body. I find I can work through a lot of things in my head when I'm running and I find that really good. But the one thing that I'll speak to that I don't do enough, but was like one of the most beautiful experiences that I've had is like meditation running, like trying to not necessarily meditate, but I guess it would be mindfulness running. We called it meditation running, but it wasn't exactly. And we really just paid attention. We did it in High Park and we only paid attention to what was going on around us. And we didn't, we just allowed ourselves to sort of be led through the park and what naturally like felt good 
Mm. And I, I feel I've told Christiane about this experience, but I felt like I just really dropped really into my own space and into myself. And then when I came out of the park, it was still like seven in the morning, but this, there was a couple cars on the street and it just like hit me. And it gave me like a really good understanding of what we're actually experiencing all the time in the city that we're maybe not aware of and how that impacts, like Christiane said, how that impacts our central nervous system and our anxiety and all that. And I had never really tapped into that before. And it, it hit me like a, a wall of bricks for sure. You said we, were you doing this with a group of people? Like, was it a led activity or was it like a group of folks and you're like, okay, let's just really pay attention, take our ear pods out, like just breathe and run. Um, I had a group of friends who started um, a running dojo and they were doing Monday morning, 6 a.m. meditations. So it ended up just being me and a friend, um, Mango. But so the two of us just went through the park together and kind of if one of us felt a turn, we sort of just turned together, but there was no communication the whole time. And mm. there was a coyote and a waterfall. It was, just, we saw stuff we'd never seen before. It was really beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, so they used to do that, but they're not a running group anymore. But they live on through the, the different runners from the community. I feel like that would be a really cool new offering, Christiane. I feel like we're coming up with something right now for the Calm app. Like, obviously, yoga is a natural way to experience mindfulness in the body, but like, let's make some running stories for Calm. I don't know what that would be, but I feel like both of your wonderful, amazing brains could like create something. We've just invented it here right now on the show. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely submit this request. I think it's a great <laughs> idea. And, and just to build on that, we don't quite have a running story yet, but we do have walking meditations, which are really lovely. And for anyone who's maybe a bit hesitant to get into like a more still expression of meditation, this is a really beautiful way to start. I think even like to go back to what you were saying that like whatever your thing is, like, you know, your thing is running and Christiane, like you've been practicing yoga for many years. Maybe that's cooking for some people. Maybe it's literally like turning off your podcast, turning off the music and mindfully chopping your onions, or maybe it's mindfully walking your dog. Like, I feel like there's so many things that we do that are just slightly distracted. I'm obsessed with audiobooks and listening to things, but the odd time where I'm just running without anything in my ears, it actually wakes me up a little bit and it could be vacuuming or it could be cleaning, like actually doing something fully embodied can be the practice. Totally. I, my old roommate who, you know, as well, Lana, she really taught me about taking care of your home in a mindful way. And I used to hate cleaning my house so much, but then we would clean every Sunday together. And it was like just the most beautiful three hours of my week. And like, then you could just feel that in your house after. So yeah, I really do think we can like apply this to basically like anything that we need to do. And as like another plug of a resource that I create, I create a, a calendar that is basically gives you a mindful experiment every day. Um, and you can just, you know, sometimes it's like a bigger experiment, but sometimes it's like today when you have a shower, like let the shower be a mindful experiment. Mm -hmm. So um, if anyone wants to try to like weave more mindfulness into their everyday, that's like a bite-sized way to experiment and explore like an advent calendar but the chocolate is mindfulness exactly <laughs> okay we're gonna close off with a ticket out the door and so silly random questions um we'll do one sister and then the other sister 
consistently. So who is the younger out of the two of you? I am Nat. Okay. So we'll go Nat and then we'll go Christiane for each of the questions. So we'll start with what is your favorite book? That's a hard question for me. Christiane's probably laughing because I don't read that much. <laughs> Christiane. <laughs> uh, my favorite book is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. <laughs> Love that book. And I would also just say right now, I'm going to give a plug. I'm reading Crosshairs by Catherine Hernandez and it's like really good. That's wicked. I love that. Uh, what is the best gift you ever received as a teacher, Nat? There was a year where I received bath bombs and tea from my students. And to be honest, I felt like they knew me better than any of the students I had ever had knew me. Mm, I love that. Christiane? Um, two. One is, this happens a lot, where people come back and they tell me about a story I told them and how mm. much like it shifted or impacted their life. And I never remember the story. So I get to kind of get my own story or my own teaching back to me. And that oh. feels like a gift. <laughs> and then Nat just reminded me my first teacher training that I ever did. Um, they gifted me a beautiful teapot. And mm. again, I, I've always wanted a teapot. So that yeah. is lovely. Mm -hmm. I was what? in that teacher training, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. I don't ah. remember the teapot. I'll send you a picture after I still have it. Can you send me the picture too? I want to put it in the yeah. show notes. <laughs> okay. What is the first thing you do when you wake up? First thing when I wake up is I quietly walk to the washroom to not wake up anybody else in my house. Mm, it's very mindful of you. Very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Christian. Um, I, I have to take medication. So I take my medication and then I try not to check my phone and some days I don't, and some days I do. It sounds like me very much. So I, ta is I tap into Metro morning right away. Like as soon as I get into the bathroom, I turn Metro morning on. <laughs> yeah. There are worse things to do with your phone. First thing in the morning, let's be totally honest. That's not a yeah. terrible way to use your phone. What is the last thing you do before you go to bed? I also, I, I now realize that I start my day and finish my day in the washroom. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I get ready for bed. I brush my teeth. That's pretty much the last thing I do. I set my alarm. Yeah. Christian. Yeah. I, I like to read a little bit to help, help myself settle and fall asleep. That's awesome. What was the most recent TV show you binged and loved? Um, my, my family, my sisters and my mother. Um, we binged Bridgerton. I don't know if that's what Christy's <laughs> going to say, but that was um, pretty good one. The funniest thing about it, I hadn't even watched it yet, but Christiane asked our family, what was the best present you received for Christmas this year at an outdoor garage visit with our family? And our middle sister answered Bridgerton from Netflix. <laughs> I'm watching it right now. It is everything. I love it. Christiane. Yeah, definitely adored getting to watch Bridgerton and I am currently binging Superstore and it's su such a delight. I've seen it on my like suggested things. I haven't touched into it yet. I have a problem where I'll watch like one new show, but then I have to go back to like Parks and Rec. Like it's as, like just these like comfort shows that I need to break away from to watch new things too. Yeah, we just yeah. finished The Office for the second time and I'm also watching Veep for the second time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you got to go back to your classics sometimes. 
I'm like my fifth round of Schitt's Creek too. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Okay. Uh, this is kind of like a micro one. So I'll do three in a row really fast with each of you. So Nat, your first. Pie or cake? Pie. Feature mountains? Oh my gosh. Mountains? Spring or fall? Fall. Mm, Christiane, pie or cake? Cake. Feature mountains? Beach. Spring or fall? Spring. Mm. Okay, now what would be your last meal on earth? I think steak and frites. Ooh, yes. Christiane. Uh, a margarita pizza from Taroni's. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay, uh, who is, Nat, your favorite edu celebrity, educational person, thought leader that you really love? This is also my sneaky way to be like, who else should I have on the podcast one day? <laughs> who do you love? I don't, I don't really um, have one, but someone who I, I think has done an amazing job, sort of, uh, it's hard to put into words, but Ted Tamertzaglou is the man behind a lot of the resources that come out to support the curriculum for health and education. And he really believed that people weren't taking us seriously in health and physical education. And he really fought to get publishers to come out with textbooks. Um, and then he just sort of goes around the world and pr promotes those. And I think that that's been a really important, important thing that has happened in health and physical education to sort of validate what should be like known as one of the most important things. Yeah. Some of my closest friends that I did my master's of teaching with are health and physical education teachers and they raved about his work so I yeah actually... him and him and his wife Carolyn so Carolyn yeah. I I worked closely with on a number of things she was also my teacher in um Boise and just the two of them they're a power team and I'm I'm proud to know them for sure that's awesome it's a really good answer those are good edgy celebrities the, yeah <laughs> um so now um Christiane will ask a different version of this question so who is your favorite yoga mindfulness and meditation celebrity Oh, I was just like trying to be like, who's my edgy celebrity? <laughs> Switch it uh, up for you. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Like, I think in terms of like not answering with a celebrity, like I would say, like I mentioned her earlier, but Jamila Milika is just like one yeah. of my favorite people. She works for New Leaf um, Yoga I feel Foundation. Like she is a celebrity. Like, I feel yeah. like there's celebrity status. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the amount of work that she's done in her like heart and head around, you know, making yoga and meditation spaces like a less oppressive space, a more accessible, more a safer space is like so amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I guess I would, I would pick her for now. And, and then another person that I'm really interested in in right now or like working with and loving it her her name's linda tai she's um a yoga teacher a mindfulness teacher and also a somatic practitioner and love her work so that's great really good responses so the last thing i need from both of you start with you nat what is the future of learning i mean i guess we hope it's connection but who knows it's really hard working with our ministry and working with, you know, people who are making decisions that aren't necessarily in our classrooms with us. But I would hope the future of learning is connection, especially as we move into such a 
a space that's so easy to grasp information so quickly and and really learning how to build connections between ourselves is really important. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Christiane, what is the future of learning for you? Similar, I think is around compassion in terms of like really being able to meet ourselves and each other with compassion. And I think, you know, right now we're going through this huge thing and I don't even think we can process or comprehend like how hard it is on us and what's going on, like what's actually like imprinting our bodies. And so just more space for us to talk about the hard things together. So the connection piece as well, um, with like a lot of care and compassion. Mm. Well, on that note, I'm really grateful that we could talk and be connected and discuss the hard things. Like what you're doing, both of you, is so important. And I'm really grateful that you could come and share your work and your practice today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for the for opportunity. <laughs> Since recording this conversation, I've been thinking more about the radical act of setting boundaries and how sitting still, even for just 10 minutes, is really an act of resistance in this world. While I've had a more serious meditation practice before I had kids, having this conversation was a reminder for me of the power of sitting, even for shorter segments. If you want to explore more, links to the Calm app, their Calm School resources, and other fun things we mentioned in this conversation are all in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for showing up. And thank you for caring about yourself as a teacher to engage with some of these ideas. I do these shows just because it's fun to get to talk to cool people about awesome stuff. If you want to support this work, you can share the show with a friend and give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Both of these things take about 23 seconds, and yet they go a long way in growing the show. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep talking about the hard things. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.